All right, let's, uh, why don't we have a word of prayer and we'll dive into our text. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the excitement that's going on here. And as we, as we get ready for spring and we have Easter Sunday coming, the opportunity to minister to people. Father, I pray that it's all um, for your glory. And as we, as we try to be better stewards of the people that you've brought here, Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom. And now, Lord, help us as we begin to study your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray for us as we do this? We have such an opportunity with the people that God's brought to Grace Baptist. And I'll tell you all, there's so many things I want to say about it, but I'll tell you more about it in the, in the coming days. Um, pray for uh, uh, Chad Hollinger and Jim McDermott as they, as they head this up. And then our team leaders. Our team leaders are... Uh, Eric Edwards and Patrick Kennedy, Ty Blackford, uh, Jeff Bradshaw, and Justin Yo. Did I forget anybody? Did, is that? And then, of course, Jim. And Jim leads some things within that. But uh, pray for them because we're going to be recruiting and pray about what God would have you to do. Think about the gifts that God has given you. You know, some of you are already plugged into a team, like our Sights and Sounds team. Todd is already plugged into the Sights and Sounds team, and Maureen's already plugged into the music team, and things like that. And some of those are natural, but some of you, you have gifts that we don't know about yet, and we need to learn what those are. We've had a, we have a job for Megan Bradshaw. She's not been told what that is yet. And uh, so it's, it's just fun to see all of this. And many of you, don't worry, you're next. You can run, but you can't hide. Psalm 119, 161. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Now, this is for tonight. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Now, um, as we study this, I, I had a call this afternoon. Um, Pastor Josh Lovelace, you young people remember him from camp. He is... Uh, wanting to begin a discipleship ministry at his church. So he texted me, asked me some questions about it. I called him and we had a good conversation about it. Over the next couple of months, we're going to try to arrange a time to do a discipleship training up there in Maine. And, um, but I started talking to him and he started giving me his testimony. So he had gone to Pensacola Christian College. He graduated with a, a pastoral degree. His minor was biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew. And um, what he talked about was how our group of preachers, of course, Dalton named it, so it's going to be a silly name. It's, there's nine of us, so it's the Nasty Nine. That's our text group. And um, he, he just, that we were joking. He said that among our group, they said, you're the one that would, you know, that I should talk to about discipleship. And so we were joking about how, you know, uh, what a, in a room full of midgets, what is it, the, the five-foot person is a giant or something. And that, that was kind of the, the idea of our group. But so just disparaging each other. 
And you're not supposed to say midget anymore, are you? But anyway, he was talking about how being in our text group, because it's a lot of foolishness, but there's also a, a guy I'll be preaching through a text. Guys, I'm on this text. I'm stuck on this. And all the guys jump in and we discuss different theological things, doctrinal things, that kind of thing. And he was talking with James Wiley, who is also in our group, about Wiley said to him, they were together when one of these things was going on, and he said, isn't it amazing the stuff you learn in this group? And the thing that, uh, that, that Josh, Pastor Lovelace, pointed out that he had learned more than anything else was what it meant to be a Bible believer. So now remember, he's, he, he has taught Greek. This is his, that's his background. And he said that he's learned more Bible since he met our group than he knew, than he had learned before that, with all of his theological training, with all of his original language training. And so I told him, I said, so I'm, I'm preaching through Psalm 119. We're talking about standing in awe of God's word tonight. So if I asked you, I'm gonna, I said, so I'm going to tell my church, I'm going to ask you this question. This was just a few minutes ago we had this conversation. I'm going to, I want to ask you a question and I'm going to give the answer to our church. So what did you, what did you lose by giving up the original language approach to preaching? And what did you gain by, by our method? Listen to what he said. He said, well, let me start with what I gained. I learned how to study the Bible. I never knew how to study the Bible because what I was actually studying was Greek. I was studying, he said, my Greek teacher told me, take your lexicon with you when you listen to preaching so you can have a, a real understanding of what's being said. Anybody bring your lexicon with you today? And the problem with that, and you all have heard this part, but let me just, I'm going to say it again so I can plug it into this, your, your thinking right here. Most of the lexicons are produced by lost linguists. They're not saved people. And for, like for Greek, most of the definitions, because Koine Greek was the language of the common man. It wasn't, the, it wasn't a language of literature, really. And so where they go for their definitions and usages is classical Greek. Well, classical Greek is really a different language than Koine Greek. And classical Greek is still spoken. It's still used. Koine Greek is not spoken. No one speaks it anymore. It's a dead language, which is good because the Greek won't, in, the, in the Bible won't change. Does that make sense? So that's a good thing. But the problem is going to find other places to find your definition becomes a problem. So they go to classical Greek to define the Koine Greek word in the Greek dictionary, which is called a lexicon. So what happens is you have a Greek word, that, uh, uh, the word that was used in the Greek that underlies the, the, your English Bible, and they're going to a different language to define that word. When the best way to get the definition is the context. How did the author intend it? And you can tell by the context how the author intended it. 
or by seeing how else that word is used in your Bible. How did God use that word in other places in your Bible? And that's how you can understand it. So this morning, we looked at, in, in our Sunday school hour, we looked at salvation and we went to different passages on eternal security. And we were able to trace different thoughts through the Bible. And that's how we get our definition. That's how we get our understanding of what God's doing. So I asked Josh, what did you learn or what, what did you gain? And he said, I learned how to study the Bible. And his testimony is similar to mine. When I committed to just believing that King James Bible, it's like a light came on. And I really understood this because I stopped looking past this to another language and just believed this. And it changed everything. I said, what did you lose? So you did all this training. You've done all this work. You understand all this background and linguistics. What did you lose? He said, absolutely nothing. He said, as a matter of fact, I've gotten rid of all my Greek and Hebrew tools. That's fascinating, isn't it? And the reason I want you to know this, the reason that I thought it was so helpful to hear from a trained theologian on those things, that um, you can understand the Bible just as well as Josh Lovelace, as Jim Alter, and this is, Patrick, have you ever given your testimony about any of that stuff here at the church? I'm not going to have you do it right this minute. Don't worry. So Patrick was a pastor, and he has your MDiv, right? Master of Divinity, which is, that's a, it was at 90 hours of, of work or 120. And so you have, to, you have to study Hebrew, you have to study Greek again in the postgraduate level. So Patrick's done all of this work and realized, you know what? After all that, I have my Bible right here. I have it. I know it. I believe it. And what I love about that is, so I'm trained. Patrick's trained more than I am in the languages. Josh Lovelace is trained more. Lawrence Vance you know, I've told you, he wrote that Greek grammar they used at Yale Divinity School. I mean, he's educated way beyond either of us in that language. And all of us just believe that we've got the Bible right here. And none of us believe we have any more access to God's Word than you do. And the only difference between my knowledge of the Bible and your knowledge of the Bible, or your knowledge of the Bible and my knowledge of the Bible, is whatever we're studying. And what I love is when you all pass me in things. So Eric Edwards is writing this book, and he's doing all this research, and he'll come to me and talk to me. And I, I finally told him, I said, Eric, you've passed me in this. You know more about this than I do. And is there anything better? All of you teachers, is there anything better than having your student pass you? That's the goal. That's, that's what we want to accomplish. Now, he's still not nearly as handsome as me, so you, know, you just got to stay within your limits. But this is, come on, it's true. But anyway, <laughs> Caleb just went. <laughs> I just want you to know that you can stand in awe of God's word. You don't need to stand in awe of any preacher. Let me say that again. Stand in awe of God's word. You don't need to stand in awe of any preacher. 
You can respect their work. You can respect their giftedness in delivery. You can respect the mind that God has given someone. But if you have the Bible, you have the exact same authority and power that they have. Stand in awe of God's word, not of any man. So let's look at some of these. This morning, we said that awe of God's word prevents the fear of man. Awe of God's word promotes joy. Awe purifies love. And it perfects praise. Tonight, standing in awe of God's word perpetuates peace. And I I just got kind of silly. It perpetuates peace and promotes perseverance. I want everyone to say that fast. It it perpetuates peace and promotes perseverance. Look at verse uh, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And nothing shall offend them. We, I mentioned this morning, boy, people are offended way too easily. And in church, we're just not supposed to get offended. And I know we've all heard that what offended means is to stumble, is to trip over. Um, it doesn't matter. That, that, that's great that that's what it means, but we're not supposed to be offended. We're not supposed to stumble in our faith because of what someone says or does to us. Isn't that right? When we have fear of God's word, when we're in awe of God's word, then whatever man does is fine. We're going to be okay. Nothing, that you should be able to do nothing. You ought to be able to do nothing that should hinder my faith. Is that fair? Um, how many of you have, have ever been under a pastor that, that fell morally, that messed up morally? Have you all ever been around someone like that? It's horrible. That is a horrible thing. And when that happens, sadly, that can have an effect on a believer's faith. What is going to keep that from happening? Well, number one, the preacher just needs to stay right. That would help. Would you all agree with that? We need to hold our pastors and our leaders to a very high standard. But secondly, we need to have more awe of God's word than we do of the preacher. More awe of the one. So, Josh Lovelace, today, tonight... I, he told me where he's from, and I said, who is your pastor there? And he named it. He said, but he messed up. He had to come before the church and tell the church that, that he was an alcoholic, independent Baptist preacher. And there were other things going on with it. His son took over the church, and it was a mess and all of those things. But here, is, here Brother Lovelace is still continuing. He's still faithful. Why? Because he had more awe of God's word than he did of the men, whether or not those men were good men. And so it, it, what, what the word of God does for us is it gives us peace. So keep your place in Psalm 119. Some of you have already thought of this passage while I've been preaching, but look at Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, look at verse 3. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. The Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Aren't you glad that if you trust in the Lord, he'll give you perfect peace? And notice the way it says it. Thou wilt, what's that next word? Keep him in perfect peace. If you want, if you want genuine peace, and 
you know, God gives us, all of us, different temperaments. And some people, their temperament is, is anxious. They, they have an anxious uh, spirit. Well, a person who deals with anxiety, it, sometimes somebody will, you know, people will give a, a sermon, you just need to trust God. Well, you need to stop being angry. When, when, when it gets to your temperament, all of a sudden you understand, can the leopard change his spots or can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can you change the very nature of who you are? But God knew about your anxiety when he saved you. God knew about that. And we all have our personal frailties. Some people struggle with insecurity. Some people struggle with arrogance. Some people, whatever your personality quirk is, and if you don't think you have one, that's your personality quirk. Right? We all have them, whichever one that is. God can help you with it. But those of you who struggle with anxiety, those of you who struggle with depression, God, he wants to keep you in that peace. How do you access it? So if that is your issue, if your issue is the anxiety, if your issue is that, that either the high or the low, if that is your issue, how does he keep you in it? How does he do that? By you having awe of his word. What does that mean? By you believing that what God says about your issue is powerful enough to affect it. And then, this is the hard part, you mortify your flesh. You put it to death. You put it to death. So, you all know all of my issues. (laughs) They are myriad. Um, So, whether it's impatience or whether it's... um, you know, the, the lack of focus, the struggle that comes with that, the, the weariness, all of those things. When I, when I die to self about those things, and then I, I, I dive into God's word and I trust it, there is rest. And you understand that the person who struggles with anxiety, that rest is what they need. I don't mean they need to go to sleep. I mean, they need to know how to take that care, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And if that's where you are, if, that, if you are this person that deals with that, with that worry and that anxiety, God can help you with that. Now, you know, or at least I hope you do, that there are different levels of this, right? There's, there's the the standard personality issue of anxiety. You know, you just you just worry about, you, you worry that you forgot to worry about something. Right? But what about when it goes to the next level? When you have to go back in to see if you turned off the stove five times. Now, how many of you know that's a, that's the, that's, that's a next level? 
right? The, almost the obsessive-compulsive, where, where it starts to move into that. I want to say two things about this. God can help you... Well, let me just be, be real clear. God can help you with that. There's hope. God can help you with this. And God may choose to help you with that through, passage of script, of, through passages of Scripture like this. Right? Sometimes God will help you through a trained counselor. And I believe that when you move into that next level of anxiety, you need both. You need both. And there's times when you need somebody that's trained beyond what Pastor Jim can give you. I, I can sit down with you and I can take you through the scriptures. And you know that I stand in awe of God's word. Do you all believe that your pastor stands in awe of God's word? But there are times when people need God's word and they also need a trained clinician who can help them. Can I get a good hearty amen to encourage people? It's so important that we understand this. But I do know that God wants to give you peace. Let's look at a New Testament passage on it. Look at 2 Corinthians. I was trained under people, and, and I think Patrick was as well in his earlier training. I was trained under a, a method of counseling called neuthetic counseling. And, um, and I believe it's very effective that in, in, in for many things that ultimately all of our problems are sin problems. Now, can we get an amen on that? Um, but if someone has some kind of, of issue that needs help, many times they don't need somebody to just throw a bunch of Scripture at them. Are you all with me on this? So Dr. Angwin, man, I just, I hate it that he's, that he's I'm glad he's in heaven. That would, I hate it that he's in heaven. That's a bad thing to say. I'm glad he got to go to heaven. But for our sake, I wish he was still here. And so um, he really helped me understand some of those things. Look, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Now, that's kind of a sad thing to hear from Paul, isn't it? Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Um, sometimes people get addicted to their problems. Have you ever met someone that was defined by their problem? That's all they could talk about. When they meet you, they tell you what their problem is when you meet them. They wear it on their sleeve. Do you know what those people need to learn to do? They need to learn to live in peace. Now, I say I'll never forget often, but I'll never forget. We had someone come to our house, I don't know, it was 11 or 12 o'clock at night, 
someone who attended the church, drunk. And I didn't even know this person drank. Come to find out they're an alcoholic. So they come and, you know, upset and embarrassed. They have embarrassed the family. There was an issue that had happened. And, and so I had a plan. I was going to make a plan to help this person. And we're just going to, we're going to take care of this. I was going to call Dr. Angwin. who's going to tell me what to do. So I called Dr. Angwin, got my notepad out. Okay. Got my pen. Oh, by the way, fountain pen. Retractable nib fountain pen. How cool is that? Get my pad out. All right. What do I need to do? Give me the steps. Now, how many of you know that, that I'm an idiot? But I promise, I'm confessing right now. This is, this is what I did. And here's the first thing Dr. Angwin said. Does she want to stop? Huh. Never thought to ask her. See, at some point, you have to want to change whatever this issue is. It doesn't matter which, doesn't matter what it is. We're talking about anxiety initially. But whatever your issue is, it might not be anxiety. Whatever one it is, do you want to stop it? Well, what Paul is saying, live in peace. And I do believe, because of the context of 2 Corinthians, it, it meant don't squabble. Would you all agree with that, that that's, the, that that's what it is? But if you choose to live in peace... Because you can't, without pride, there's no contention. If your issue is pride, to, in order to live in peace, you have to stop having the pride. Well, what if that's your nature? What if that's who you are? Then stop it. Bob Newhart, you all remember that? How many have not seen the Bob Newhart stop it? If you have not seen it, raise your hand. Okay. So after church, not while I'm preaching, YouTube, Bob Newhart, stop it. It'll be the greatest thing you've ever seen. And the problem is, here's the sad thing. I am, as a counselor, Bob Newhart. Well, I can't stop biting my fingernails. Well, don't do that. Okay, that'll be $5. <laughs> But honestly, wouldn't you all agree that whatever our issue is, if we stand in awe of God's word and we believe that the Holy Spirit wants to help us and change us, that the first step is choosing to stop. Now remember, I'm not saying that's going to cure you. If you're an alcoholic... The first step is I want to stop. Is that the last step? Anybody who knows anything about this knows that is not the last step. And as a matter of fact, there may never be a last step until you're out of this body. It may be whatever your issue is, whether it's the anxiety or the depression or the anger or the pride, whatever your particular issue is, the envy, the jealousy, some, some people, they're just, that's just them. The paranoia. Remember, just because you think they're out to get you doesn't mean they're not. The, 
what if, what if that's your issue? You have to choose to stop. That's the first step. Live in peace and then, and then, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. God's amazing. Sometimes he chooses to override your will and do something, right? And usually it's pretty painful when he does that. Often, though, God, you know, the the idea of of the Holy Spirit, the one that comes alongside, he's there ready to help. But he's not going to make you. He's not going to make you. And you'll carry the burden, and you'll carry the burden, and you'll carry the burden, and he's right there. He wants to carry it for you. The story I've told you before, my dad would tell it, of the lady that was afraid to fly, and her kids finally coaxed her into flying. She got off the plane, and they said, see, Mom, it wasn't really that bad. And she said, well, I never did put all my weight down. Well, you did, right? You can choose to trust God, or you can choose to carry it all yourself. And then, I, I think that for most people, the choice to stop it and the choice to believe God and live in peace is enough. It works. Now, you have to do it often, right? Many, many times a day. For, for many, and I would say for most people, that cares for the issue. If that is not you, please come to me. We will hook you up with a, with a counselor. We'll find someone to help you. You don't have to carry this weight alone. Amen? Can, can we get a hearty amen so that they, that person who needs help knows the church is here for them? We want to help you. So, look at, uh, so the, the, let's go back to Psalm 119. All perpetuates peace. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, uh, I've not preached on, on silly offenses. I'll, this, I almost said I'll never forget. I'm trying to stop repeating myself so much. But um, when my father had started the church in Connecticut, as a child... It impacted me so much that there was a church split because some people wanted round tables for the fellowship hall and some people wanted rectangular tables. Grown people left the church because of the shape of the tables in the fellowship hall. Do you think maybe they needed great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them? We need to stand in awe of God's word. All right, next. So don't be offended about silly stuff. Then, awe promises salvation. I love this part right here. Awe promises salvation. Look at what it says in verse uh, 166. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. Here's what's so fun. You ready for this? I have salvation and don't have to keep the commandments. What do I mean by that? That my obedience has nothing to do with my salvation. David didn't understand that. Why? Because he didn't have it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1.
Look at verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. So the context is the salvation of your soul in a New Testament context. Verse 10. Of which salvation, the salvation of the soul, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto them. Why? Because it didn't come unto them. How do I know that? Look at what it says. It doesn't say you, it says them. Verse 11. Searching searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So these prophets are writing about the suffering of Christ, and I think that this must be Isaiah and David. Those are the two that primarily prophesied about the suffering of Christ. Isaiah and David. And what God revealed to them, they said, what is this? What, what is this salvation that's going to come from a suffering Christ? What is that? They didn't understand it. They had no concept of it. Look at verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed, unto whom? Who are the whom? Those prophets that inquired about the prophecy of Christ, that the Spirit of Christ that was in them had them right. We don't understand this. What is it? They inquired diligently. All right, now, unto whom it was revealed. That not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister those things. All right, they did minister the things. Now, not to them, but to us. What changed? What changed to have the message that wasn't to them come to us? So Peter says it's for us, it wasn't for them. Who are these us's and them's? Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. The thing that changed everything was Pentecost. The thing that changed everything was the coming of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling Holy Spirit and that sealing Holy Spirit that seals us unto the day of redemption. So when I place my faith and trust in Christ alone for my eternal life, I am saved forever. I am in Christ forever. I can never get outside of Christ. As we said in Sunday school this morning, there is no future for the believer that is outside the body of Christ. I am in Him. I do not have to pray for salvation Anymore, I am saved. David didn't understand that. I believe 1 Peter is talking about David. What am I writing? Remember Psalm 22? What am I writing? What is happening? Now, Notice what it says, the end of verse 12, which things the angels desire to look into. Remember, he could have called 10,000 angels. 
Know you not that I could call 10,000 or 10 legions of angels? And we've talked about that before that the first time somebody struck Jesus, can you imagine these angels around the throne of God? 180,000 people woke up dead, the Bible says, when one angel came into the camp. And those angels like, let us go. They're hitting God. They're striking the Son of God. He holds them back. No. No. I'm doing this to save these people that you could wipe out like that. These, this group of beings that's a little lower than you are. And these angels are, I have to watch this. I, I, I want to look at this. What does this mean? Because you understand there's no redemption for an angel. When they fall, they're done. I think Eric's the expert on that. Am I right on that? (laughs) He's going to be so mad at me. The promise of salvation, it's not of works. Praise God. When I have awe of God's word, man, I understand what salvation is. Go back to Psalm 119, and you see that David didn't have that. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and have done thy commandments. For us, hope isn't I hope so For us, hope is sure. It's as sure as the promises of God. Now, look at verse 167. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Awe pursues righteousness. Awe pursues righteousness. As I said this morning, because because we love our wives, we try to not live like animals. Right? Um... you, you cavemen, you know, where, you, you, how was how your day? Uh. What do you want for supper? Uh. Did, did, did you like it? Did you, li- did you like the meal? Uh. I know you're sitting out there. You need to dwell with her according to knowledge. You need to speak to her. You need to communicate with her. You need to love her. You need to come outside of your boorishness and maybe learn how to hold the cup with your pinky up, you know, to, to make it, I don't know, you don't have to go that far. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Because your love for her causes you to change. Ladies, have you noticed you can't change him? It doesn't work, but men, you can choose to be something else for her. And I know that almost all of you have. That's, that's what we do. It's the only way they stay with us, right? When I, when I really stand in awe of God's word, I change. When I really stand in awe of God's word, I want to have a testimony like Hebrews chapter 11. Those people that just trusted God and had faith and God did great things through them. See, every man wants to be the hero. Every man wants to leave something that that will last. 
And we can do that for all eternity if we follow these testimonies. Look at what it says. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. What are those testimonies? Those are the things that God has said about what he's done. Those are the testimonies of what God has done in other people's lives. I want to believe those. They're recorded in the Bible. I want to have one of those myself. I used to be this. Look at what God did in me, and now God's doing this. I want to have that testimony. But I want to flesh that out, but my time's done. Awe not only does that, look at, awe not only pursues righteousness, but look at, look at our last verse, verse 168. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. I'm going to do some preaching on before the throne. I'm preaching a conference, and the, the, the theme, it's a holiness conference, and so my theme for that is holiness before the throne of God. What does it mean to be before the throne of God? I want to, I'm going to flesh that out for you a little bit more, so I'm not going to do it tonight. But look at verse 168. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. All of God's word, when I experience that, it causes me to preach the truth. It causes me to preach the truth. Those are the precepts. Precepts are those things that God has given us that we are to say to someone else. And when I stand in awe of God's word, I've got to tell somebody about it. I have to tell somebody about it. Um, just like I like talking about what I'm learning about fountain pens. I find something out, and I, you get a good deal, or you, you learn how to do something, and you want to tell somebody about it. And then if you're like Ed Bermond, and I say it to you, he goes, <sighs> it is so important that we understand that from the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So I'm going to ask you a question, and it's not a browbeating question. It's just a genuine question. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time? So let me just ask you a question by the raise of hands. How many of you believe that there really is a hell? I think when we first get saved and we realize that there's a hell, we have to tell people about it because we care about all those people around us. And then they get mad at us because we tell them they're going to hell, right? And then you get, you get a little bit more mature in the faith and you learn how to tell them the gospel, how to give them the gospel, and you're still telling them they're going to hell. You just don't lead with that. And, but you really care about them, and then you get saved for so long that you don't care about it anymore. I think that we need some awe of God's word and that we need to acknowledge that it's our responsibility and that if we really do love the Lord, we're going to tell somebody about Jesus. So Adam Pierce, our friend in Florida, um, runs our teen camp with Michael Scott. His grandmother was the only person in his family that he knew of that was saved and he loved his grandmother. She died. And she had a sister that Adam's never met. And... Um, she has a box of things that were in her sister's house that she thought Adam would like to have, and he's really excited to get them. And of all places, she lives in Troy, Ohio. 
So he called me and asked me if I would go and pick up this box. And I said, I said, yeah, just let her know that, that if she looks for a stunningly handsome man that comes to the door, she'll, she'll know that it's me. So he actually said that to her. And listen to what she said. I've got to read it because she said it better than I could. I told her you said she would know it's you because you're stunningly handsome. She said, then he must be as ugly as a mud fish. <laughs> and then he, he's laughing like crazy. And he said, sharp lady for 92. She goes to chemo five days a week. He doesn't know if she's saved. What if I just go pick up the box and say, have a nice day? I'm going to try and lead this lady to the Lord. I don't know if I'll go and meet her and have to make an appointment to go back. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I hope that you'll pray for me as I, as I try to do that. But all of us, if we stand in awe of God's word, it's going to cause us to preach his word. It's going to cause us to, to keep those precepts, to keep those testimonies. I want to have a testimony so when I say it to people I know, my life matches what I say. This, when I stand in awe of God's word, it changes everything. My anxiety can change. I can have some peace. My, I'll, I'll, I'll have a, a testimony that, that follows what God says. I'll pursue purity and righteousness in my life. And I'm going to preach God's word to people. And I just think that's what happens when we stand in awe of God's word. Amen? How about we all just stand right now? That would be, that would be good. It preaches the truth. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies for all my ways are before thee. Let's just be holy. Amen? Isn't that a good idea? Let's be holy. We're going to sing a word of invitation. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. If you're not telling people about Jesus, man, ask God to help you and tell people about Christ. We need to witness. We need to witness on purpose.